Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. It's the podcast of all time. Easily one of the podcasts I've heard in years. <laughs> what antiques are we talking about this week? I want to talk about TV lamps, because I feel like people don't talk about them enough. I've never heard of these. Ah, well, then this is going to be fun. So, in the 1950s, the TV is adopted for sort of mass production and mass usage in homes, right? But the TV operates best in low light because it gives a very faint glow to sort of like back the picture up behind it. So, the optimal way to watch the TV is in complete darkness. Great for your eyes! And you have stumbled, as is so often your way, into the very crux of this entire topic. Suddenly, all children need glasses. How'd that happen? <laughs> You know that there is actually no science backing up that TVs do anything bad to your eyes, right? Shh. Computers are a much bigger risk because uh, they use different kinds of light. And you're closer to them. And on them more often. Shh. <laughs> well, it was understandable at the time that the idea of looking at the stark white picture box in the complete darkness would be bad for the eyes. It's actually a pretty easy consideration to come to. Yeah. As Ken very quickly did. So, the theory is... And I'll get into the controversy behind the theory that the existence of the TV lamp was meant to ease the eye strain caused by the TV. So a TV lamp is a lamp meant to be placed on top of the TV. This might shock you. They were typically high gloss ceramics. They were shapes, of course. And instead of illuminating from a bulb in the center, there was usually a recessed bulb in the back hidden in behind the base or attached in a cylinder at the base. That created a sort of silhouette of the lamp and cast light on the wall behind the TV and created a sort of mood light. Like most objects, they were made from shapes. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> but I do like the kind of shadow puppet effect you're describing. That sounds cool. Yeah, it's a diffuse, like, soft light that is just meant to, I guess, I'm flummoxed as to how they thought this would work. I don't know how more light is going to stop your eyes from being killed by light. I think if there's more ambient light and it's less like staring directly into a bare bulb. Maybe? That's fair. Now, despite the fact that it's the narrative we run into absolutely the most often, and I really, really do take great joy in unpopular hot takes on this podcast. That's why we started it. We had so many. We had to get them out somehow. <laughs> it's literally just hot takes the podcast at first. Still is. I told my guitar playing father about Chris's opinions on wood tone and holy shit. Yeah? How'd that go over? Talk about a hot take. A little hot potato take. <laughs> So my issue, and I did find at least one other researcher who had this issue, is that I can't find any record of people saying this historically from the time that TV lamps were being produced and popular. I will say that everyone I've interacted with who was watching TV in the 60s has espoused this opinion. So it's really interesting. And if someone can point me in, in the direction of more intensive research in this, <laughs> this very important corner... But it's just that looking at catalog advertisements and stuff, I couldn't find the companies that were selling these lamps suggesting this is a fix, which I thought was unusual. That is weird. Since it is such a commonly adopted concept by people who see TV lamps and grew up with them in their house. So I'm skeptical. I've become a skeptic of this story. I'm curious about what's in that gap. Or maybe there's no gap and I was just looking in the wrong places and there's tons of ads where they're saying that. Either way, if you know, I'd love to hear from you. Now, the other theory about how TV lamps came to be, not necessarily in direct contrast, but sometimes alongside the eye strain theory, is the existence of radio lamps. To protect your ears from the light of the radio. No, it was just inventive furniture design. Table lamps were a thing, which were lamps that were built into little side tables. To protect your eyes from the light of the table. To protect your eyes from the dark of the night, mostly. 
Unless the tables were just so beautiful that you couldn't look at them directly. I mean, I know that feeling. The table in yellow? Yes. Don't look directly at it. <laughs> yeah, these are table lamps, which is a lamp that is also a table, that had radios built into the base. The only piece of furniture you'll ever need. You just need one. Do you live in a shack alone? Like, I, boy, do I have the one piece of furniture for you. So these pieces of utilitarian radio lamp furniture kind of branched off into just the idea that radios were large pieces of material in your home that you needed to see to operate. And what fun to have a special lamp to put on top for operating your radio in the dark, right? And the concept here is that the TV lamp was just sort of a natural progression of putting lamps on top of electronic things used for entertainment in your home. Sure. So yeah, the idea is just that it's either just a natural design progression of electronic and home put lamp on, or possibly even just a clever way to get rid of old stock of radio lamps. Hey. However it started, it worked really well. A lot of people suggest that it caught on, not necessarily because of the eye damage thing, although word of mouth does seem pretty likely that that did happen, but because this was another surface of a furniture in your house to decorate. And boy, if there's one thing we know about the 50s, it's that they loved to decorate it a lot. God, why? Proud forebears of maximalism. So as a result, the lamps became extremely, well, decorative. And decorative in the 1950s means a lot of things, not many of them very good. Most of them bad, actually. <laughs> yeah, for me personally, I think TV lamps fall really neatly into one of two categories, which is fun, good, weird, and the other half is very bad, racist. Oh no. Well, a very, I'm not going to call it important, but a very present element of design in the 50s through the 60s was exoticism. And this was sometimes expressed in very interesting neutral ways, like one of the most popular TV lamps that I am now going to bring up because it's topical to what I'm talking about is the Crawling Panther Lamp. I'm going to call this a normal exotic theme because it's just a cool and awesome animal. The panther actually became sort of the hallmark of like, if you know about TV lamps, you probably thought of the panther. Which is very funny because the design was actually originally a not a lamp made by Hager that got ripped off into TV lamps. So it was never even originally meant to be a TV lamp. Just a cool panther statue you could have in your home? Yeah, just an extremely radical panther statue you could have in your home in Chartreuse. Hell yeah. And people were like, that would be way better if it admitted light. And they were kind of right about that. They weren't wrong. So yeah, on the one hand, you get a really, really huge amount of animal themes from the domestic to the exotic. Tigers, racing antelopes, all kinds of sleek cats. Another good version of this exoticism is the vegetation of exotic quote-unquote locales like plumeria and hibiscus from Hawaii. And then the other side is human figurals, which start off pretty okay with ballerinas and dancers, and then pretty quickly just sort of uh, devolve into racism. All kinds of racist stuff. Pretty quickly get very not okay. Yeah, it's unfortunately it was the uh, the 1950s plus exploring themes of international travel. It was not great, not awesome all the time. You saying they weren't particularly culturally sensitive in the 1950s? Yeah, no, they weren't actually interested in learning a lot. Incredible. Yeah. The antelopes are dope as hell, though. I also found one that was a TV. I didn't like that. It made me feel uncomfortable to think about. Also, some of these lamps uh, over time leaking into the 60s. That was a terrible way to say that. And I'm very sorry to everyone who heard it with their ears. You got that 60s leak cleared up or still waiting on the plumbing? <laughs> There's definitely a porno called leaking into the 60s, right? Yucky. All leaks are 60s leaks because they turn everything that they're leaking onto a horrible shade of orange. No. 
No, thank you. Don't lick 60s palettes. I don't. I'm sorry. Welcome to the anti-mid-century modern podcast. It's not. I like a lot of elements. The colors are just not one of them, mostly. At this point, should we just do an entire episode on why we hate mid-century modern? I don't hate it. I... (laughs) This is not a we situation. I respect your feelings on it, and I don't hate it. I respect nothing. Please direct all of your hate mail to me, Ken. (laughs) Do you want Ken to do an episode on everything he hates about it so you want to fully understand? We can do that for you. I just don't like the color orange. It's a personal thing. But yeah, as we were leaking in the 60s, the lamps started to be combined with other design purposes from the normal, such as putting in flowers or candy, dried flowers like a potpourri or candy dishes, to the extremely bad and terrible, such as a small real planter for actually putting a plant in, which I can't help but remind you is something you'd have to water and is attached to an electric object. Hmm. <laughs> now I want you to ask yourself really quick, do I feel safe watering my lamp? With 1960s watering? Absolutely. And I speak as someone who was electrocuted by a lamp. I got electrocuted by a calculator, but that's a whole nother kettle of fish. Oh wow, that is a weird kettle of fish. Yeah, I've told this story on the podcast before about how I was trying to rewire a lamp and electrocuted myself and shorted out the electricity in the place. Whoops. Which was an entire warehouse. <laughs> how to complete a circuit with your own human body by D. <laughs> an unpleasant experience is the subtitle of that book. Eventually, TV lamps became an incentive to buying a TV. Yeah. They would be given away for sale. Some people think that this might actually have been to try to assuage people's medical fears that the TV would burn their eyes out. So, you know, it's going to come with this lamp that's going to keep your eyeballs and blast them right back into the normal shape. For sure. The carnival glass-like distribution is one explanation of why there's so freaking many for a vintage piece that was really created for at most 12 years. Damn. They really didn't last very long. But they cranked them the fuck out, didn't they? They were ubiquitous for those 12 years. If you ask your parents or people, I say people around your parents' age, I don't even know what the age the people were talking to. I'm sorry, I just had a fucking moment. How old am I? I would say our listeners span the full range of human ages from know what a podcast is to know what a podcast is. So basically, (laughs) anywhere from 8 to 80 seems to be where we fall. If you actively remember tube TVs, you are probably familiar with TV lamps. That's much better. You know what? I like that way better. We've solved it, we have. Which, like I said, I, th- I find that extremely fascinating given the very, very tight window with that they were being produced and popular in. Another really fascinating thing about them is that they are almost exclusively North American in popularity, use, collection, and distribution. And creation. There were not a lot of imported TV lamps. Did the British not have eyeballs that could be burned by TVs? I think nobody else cared. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. It's unusual because the 1950s and 60s are well known for importing all kinds of primarily Chinese and Japanese pottery. Oh, and these lamps being ceramic, you'd think. And yet. You would think a lot of them would be, but most of them are American made. Hmm. And actually, there's a really interesting anecdote about that. And it's interesting because this also folds into a manufacturer that is the most famous, most collectible, and sometimes most pricey TV lamps that you can find in America, the Texas Inc. Pottery Company. This is a factory that existed in a place called Bangs, Texas. Sure. Which is one of the many, many tiny towns that are dotted across the country-sized state of Texas. And the story behind it is literally this small community pulled together and collectively created a TV lamp factory because it was a hot item. It was fairly easy to make. 
because the farmers needed work during a really bad drought in the early 1950s. So while tons of farmers were out of work in this small community, they actually just created a business to give people work and income. That's really cool. Basically, a TV lamp collector became the unofficial historian of Bangs, Texas, because very correctly, he was very fascinated at the way this had all come together. And the factory's still standing. It doesn't actually work, but the factory's still present in the town. And uh, thanks to... Thanks to this very famous American lamp collector, they actually have reunions now, the people who used to work there who are still alive. Oh, hell yeah. They had a designer there by the name of Kron, who signed a lot of his works, and he created some of the most iconic and beautiful TV lamps that you can buy, and the collectability on them is extremely high, and they're definitely in the upper end in terms of price you can get for them. And most of them are marked directly either Texas Inc. or Kron. And the story behind that is literally just a community preserving themselves through community collective action you love to see it. It's fantastic. You love to see it. Who knew that it would come on the wings of something like TV lamps? On the wings of lamps. <laughs> yeah? Now, was that one recognizable? <laughs> Not even a little. What was that? It was supposed to be on the wings of love. Oh, on the wings of love. Yes. Okay, yeah. But with lamps instead of love. And perhaps sung by someone who can carry a tune with a bucket. No, that wasn't actually so bad now that I'm looking back. I think I just didn't remember the song. Was it that bad? Write in. Antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> we love to hear from you, even if it's just on our singing. <laughs> Thank God we don't have one of those music podcasts, right? I mean, I can't think of a podcast I'm less qualified for. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of one. Antiques? <laughs> the Mid-Century Modern Appreciation Podcast. Oh. Uh... You know what? You're not wrong. You're my least favorite pick for that podcast. (laughs) If you had to rank, bottom. (laughs) F tier. (laughs) Now, over time, and by over time, I mean extremely quickly, the blink of an eye, TV lamps, popularity and ubiquity in the American home completely declined, mostly because of the very simple fact that television screens got larger and you could sit further back from it, which alleviated people's fears of eye strain. That is literally it. Oh. Big screen. It's attributed mostly to the rapidity of the TV's development in terms of like largeness and small profile, which is why the lifespan of this extremely weird collectible was so short. And I do mean weird. I found three separate collectors comparing their lamp collection to their favorite B-horror movies. Huh. Yeah, it's a really interesting convergence of experience. I think a lot of things in the 1950s were so cartoonish and experimental that they have a bit of a horror element to them, and that is why I have really come to appreciate them. Yeah. So, I bet you want to go get yourself a TV lamp now. That's presuming a lot, but for the sake of argument, sure. I saw a couple that you would absolutely adore, by the way. Yeah? I know you well enough to know that you love a cool animal that's also a lamp. I do like that. There you go. Because of their ubiquity, they're actually pretty easy to find. The caveat is that the prices are actually kind of on the higher end of things because so many of them were American pottery companies that were high quality. Oh. You know, when you have McCoy and Hager and things, while they're not absolutely top of the line prices, they are more than your standard Japanese import stuff. True. So up to the ranges I was looking at kind of suggested anywhere from 50 to 250, depending on rarity, quality, company. Once you start getting into Cron and Texas Inc., that actually starts shooting up to 500. Damn. But there's also so many of these goddamn things that it's pretty hard to keep the values that high for too long, you know? Yeah. Now, another surprising issue is reproductions, which shocked the hell out of me, literally, because I was trying to rewire one of their lamps. <laughs> 
That was a good joke. That was on the fly. Are we going to talk about that poor panther being copied and copied and copied so many times that he became, in the end, a shapeless blob? Yes, that's exactly the panther we are speaking of, Ken. Thank you so much. I love him so much. (laughs) We all know exactly the panther. We know him. He's an old friend. (laughs) He has none of his detail left. It was a little bit of a shakeup to look through these and look at the original Panther TV lamps. The original highly sculpted and extremely recognizable and beautiful Panther. Yeah. And then you throw that into a mold too many times and suddenly he's just kind of melting along in a vague sort of shape. <laughs> As it turns out, people never stopped throwing that poor thing into the mold. Oh, my sweet boy. <laughs> Jack the lamp. <laughs> oh, it's a really good joke. Fuck. I'm patting myself on the back for that one. (laughs) So that's the one good thing about these reproduction TV lamps. They tend to just be the really popular designs. So panthers, horses racing, antelopes, and hula dancers. Horses racing antelopes? Horses racing hula dancers is my favorite lamp. (laughs) Who will win? (laughs) But the dead giveaways are, they have very clearly been remolded until they are shapeless blobs. I mean, you know. And my favorite tip off with vintage things, the electronics will look new and that's a bad sign. Oops. Even ones that have been rewired, which I find actually is less common for TV lamps than regular lamps. I don't run into a lot of rewires on those because people generally don't plug them in. They just like them for the sculpture. Even when those are rewired, the like plastic fixture that the bulb sits in is usually not rewired or replaced rather. The wires running through it have been replaced, but the structure itself, if it is intact, will not have been replaced generally. You know, a modern electric setup will be entirely metal. There's very little plastic in the plastic that's there is a brittle black plastic and not the somewhat malleable soft Bakelite plastic. And actually these lamps were made out of a lot of different materials, which I think is very funny. I'm just going to mention this here because I don't know where else to talk about how funny I think a chalkware lamp is in concept. I feel like that would catch fire. That's what I thought too. I couldn't find any examples of any catching fire. But I couldn't find any examples of one that looked good, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I mean, you know. (laughs) I also found a few that were made out of paper, which that just seems bad. That sounds like a bad time, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, paper mache lamp. Almost as good as the planter lamp that you have to water. (laughs) And that is that on TV lamps. Sources for today include... Collectorsweekly.com, an interview with 1950s lamp collector Mark Stevens. Uh, That was the gentleman I was referring to who had done so much research into Texas Inc. and Banks, Texas. So if you're very interested in that part, he has a lot of deep detail into that. Booksfyi.blogspot, Collectibles Corner Vintage TV Lamps, which actually has a link to one of the only TV lamp books that is available. Damn. Discoverhubpages.com, TV Lamps Curious Mid-Century Lighting. Preservationartisans.org, the quirky world of vintage TV lamps bring whimsy into your home. Collectorsweekly.com slash lamps. And tvlamps.com. That is a good URL get, I'll tell you what. (laughs) I didn't make that one up just because I, like, I know it's a bit, but no, it's a bit because it's always true. That's a real website, tvlamps.com. There's always one extremely on-the-nose URL. Yep. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, antiquesfreaksfriends, or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. If you loved all the things we said today about Texas and lamps, feel free to go on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leaving us a tight, hot, little saucy review. I hated that. (laughs) I hated every word of that. Did you also hate every word of that? Rate us one star and let us know. If you're one of our listeners and you hated that, you can you can cuss me out in a review. Zero stars. What the fuck was that? 
We also have an Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks. And I don't talk on that Etsy, so it might be a better experience for you. Where we have a wide variety of vintage goods and t-shirts and stickers with podcast logos on them. Don't sleep on our whales t-shirt. It is cool as hell. Ken has one. That's how cool it is. D got it for me. Because <laughs> I'm cool. And if you would like more Antiques Freaks in your week, you can check out our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash antiquesfreaks, where sometimes we make art and sometimes we play video games like Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy and talk about Egyptology. With a real archaeologist. Or you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we produce a bonus episode where we read and review a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful, Varney the Vampire, or the Feast of Blood. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right, you. Au revoir. Goodbye.